Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. How are you guys? Good? Um, yeah, that, that whole thing about cheerful giving, I've, I've, we've said this so many times before, but it really is true. Um, we, we never read a Bible verse where it shows us something that God loves without understanding that's a revelation of something that He desires for us. So when it says that God loves a cheerful giver, that means there's a place in Him that I can find myself where I'm cheerfully giving. It doesn't mean paint a fake smile on my face and act cheerful. That would be hypocrisy, that would be ridiculous, and that would do nothing for anybody. Um, but, but if I read that God loves a cheerful giver, then if, if my heart isn't cheerful when I'm giving, it doesn't matter what I'm giving either, from resources to time, talents, whatever it is. But when I find myself giving, if I really am not cheerful about it, I should get alone with him and just say, God, your word says you love when I cheerfully give. And if I'm being honest, there was everything but cheer in my heart this morning. And just ask him, God, show me what I'm missing. God, show me what it is that, that I'm not seeing. Why is it, God, that, that, that something that you love, I haven't found in my heart yet? And then just be honest before him and let him, let him speak to you about that. Because it, that's not like a, God loves a cheerful giver, so act cheerful when you give. Because you can't fake him out. Because while man's looking at the outside going, wow, look at them cheerfully giving, God sees the condition of our heart. He sees that as we're letting go, there's pain in our heart and we're wishing we weren't or we have an attitude towards it, whatever it is. So just allow when you read something in the Word where it talks about what God wants as seeing it not only just as something that He wants from you, but it's something He actually wants for you. And if that's not a reality in your life, get with Him. Ask Him to show you and change your heart to the place where your heart lines up with what He wants for you. And um, never just fake it till you make it. Just be honest enough. Like, come on, at some point we've got to just be really honest with ourselves in the Word and let the Word speak to us in a way that challenges us and calls us up rather than acting like we've received it, acting like we know it, and being able to recite it, but really our heart remains unchanged. Because it doesn't do any good for you. It really doesn't. What good does it do you for all the world to think that the Word is changing you, but for you to just be putting on an act so that when people look at the outside, they think one thing, but you, when you know your own heart, and God who's looking at your heart knows, that actually wasn't that cheerful this morning. There's actually something that has a hold on you as you hold on to it. So I just, yeah, like I want us to be real about that. And um, I, I honestly would rather people not give if they're not cheerfully giving. Just take it and set it aside and just say, God, I want to give this cheerfully. Show me. Show me what it is I'm missing. Show me what it is I'm not seeing. God, expose in me whatever it is that's causing me to not want to give. Like, just say it's your time. Like, rather than begrudgingly doing something, just get alone with Him and say, God, I don't want to just do something out of obligation. I don't want to begrudgingly do something. But God, if Your Word's called me to do this, then I know that You want that for me. Show me why I'm not joyful about doing this. Show me what it is that makes me not excited about this. Because I want to be excited about the things You're excited about, God. I want to be joyful about the things You're joyful about. I don't want to have to fake it and go through life acting like I am, God. I want it to be genuine. I want it to be real. And then just be honest and let Him speak to you about that and let Him father you. That's why He's our Father. 
He'll actually father you in those moments where we come to Him, we're honest and vulnerable before Him. And we actually let Him in His words just speak to us and father us. And sometimes when a father says something to you it, and it puts its finger on something, it's not always the most comfortable thing in the world. Let's be honest. Sometimes the things he points out to us, it's like, oh. But we understand he's doing that because he loves us. He says I, he disciplines those he loves. If you've never been disciplined by him, then he doesn't love you. And guess what? He loves everybody. So that means he disciplines everybody. Yeah. Let him do it. Don't tell him to be quiet in the name of Satan, get behind me. There's no condemnation in Christ. He's not condemning you. He's not pointing that out for the sake of condemnation. He's pointing it out because it's something he wants you free from so that you can live a greater life, so that you can look more like him, so that you can represent his kingdom more. Everywhere you go, you can represent the kingdom well. It's never to say, like, look at how bad you are. It's always to say, hey, that's not who you are. That's not supposed to be there. I died for that. I paid a price for that. You're supposed to be free from that. There's a place in me where you don't have to struggle with that. I came to set the captives free. If that thing's holding you in captivity, I'm pointing out that it's holding on to you, not because I want you to feel bad about where you are. It's because I want you to hate where you're at while seeing where you can be. That's the whole thing Mindy was talking about with, you know, he's my, our past and our future and our past. It's like, you don't have to live with regret. Regret is remembering your past apart from the blood of Jesus. That's not to say you don't look back and wish things wouldn't have been different occasionally and stuff. I'm talking about being crippled by regret to where you live every single day of your life more aware of the mistakes than you've made than of what Jesus did on a cross that took the price and paid the price for what he did, for what you did. That's, what, that's all regret is. That's how you're crippled by the power of regret. You remember your past apart from the blood of Jesus. The problem with that is for the born-again believer who's been washed in the blood of Jesus, whose past has been covered with His blood, that's visiting it apart from His blood is a lie. Because you're remembering it, but you're, mis- you're, you're forgetting the most important part, and that's this, that Jesus said He came and died and gave His life for that sin to be covered, for that sin to be washed away. He said, I am the Lord their God, will forgive their sins and remember them no more. And if He thinks that's worth forgetting, it probably would be good for us to do the same. And anxiety, when we look forward, all that is is just imagining the future apart from His promise. Imagining our future apart from Him. That's a lie, because he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you, so any scenario that your imagination thinks of, there's a godly use for imagination, you have it for a reason, but it wasn't so that you could imagine your future apart from the promises of God, that's a lie, because he said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, so any scenario that you imagine going forward where you're anxious about it, or it causes anxiety, it's because you're forgetting that there's also a promise that he'd be there with you. And that he said that he's our shepherd. And though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Why? Because he is with me. Yea, though I walk through. I'm not camping there. He didn't say, yea, though I live in the valley of the shadow of death. He never meant for you to live there. He only meant for you to pass through it. And you were never supposed to be gripped and crippled by fear and stay where you are because you're supposed to remember, he's with me. So when I think about tomorrow, I remember... All that stuff about tomorrow may be true, but there's one thing that's greater than anything I'm thinking about, and that's this. There's a greater truth that says, I'll be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you alone. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Come on, you start remembering that, and anxiety starts to go. Because now you start using your imagination for what God created it for, and that's to imagine what will it be like to walk through that with Jesus. You think about it. Take any situation that you're thinking about. 
and take Jesus and insert him into that situation and think about Jesus himself walking through that situation with you. And now all of a sudden your imagination is different because instead of thinking about how everything could go wrong and all the things that could go wrong and, and, and this person and that person and they said or what I'm going to do or what I don't have, what I lack, how I'm not good enough, how I don't know enough, I'm not equipped. Look, we, we battle these things. You know, let's be real. We battle these things. We look at our future sometimes and we imagine ourselves in that place and we imagine ourselves only. So every bit of our imagination is based on us. And so we're thinking about that situation apart from Him. And so when you do that, there's a very real chance that you should be anxious. Because you're probably not qualified for everything He's called you to step into. You're probably not qualified on your own to live in every situation He's called you to live. You probably don't have everything that you need apart from Him, to do everything He's called you to. You have every reason to be anxious when your imagination is going and you're imagining life apart from Him. But you have to remember one thing in the middle of all of that, and that's this. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. All things pertaining to life and godliness have been freely given to us through the knowledge of His Son. Now all of a sudden I'm imagining it different because now I see that situation and I think about that relationship and I think about that talk that we're going to have, but I remember Jesus will be sitting there with me. He actually comes with me. That He lives inside of me. That He's placed His presence inside of me. That He gave me His name and I'm in His name. And I'm, the life I live is no longer mine, but the life I live now is Christ who lives in me. And all of a sudden now I'm imagining that conversation, but I'm imagining it covered with the grace and the presence of Jesus. Come on, I'm imagining that heart being softened by the Holy Spirit. I'm imagining what it's going to be like when I go there and rather than speaking out of my own intellect and my own need to be right, I lay down my rights and I go there listening for the voice of the Father. What will it look like when I speak only what you have for me to say, God? Come on, that's, what, that's the way we're supposed to live. That's a godly use of your imagination. That thing that cripples you, that's not from Him. And the enemy would love so much for you to forget the promises of God so that all you can imagine is a future apart from Him and all you can remember is a past apart from His grace. And now all of a sudden you live with so much regret about the past that you worry about the future because all you can project into the future is what you see when you look back. Here's the thing, it works the other way too. If all you can project into the future is what you see when you look back, you see Jesus. All you can look forward and see is Jesus. And then you realize He's my beginning and my end. He's here in the middle of this, making all things new, and He's here in the middle of that, ready to walk through, me, through the valley with me. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. Come on. That's a good word. That, that's something... I'm, <laughs> that's not from me, so... That's something you can actually take every single day and think, I'm going to live today conscious of the knowledge that He's with me. Conscious that I am capable to do everything. In fact, maybe this is one of those things that he said before, and he said, for you were saved for good works which he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. When you see something coming up in your life, you can look at that and you can say, Jesus, maybe this is one of those good works that you prepared beforehand that I should walk in. Maybe you saw this day long before I saw it coming. You're not surprised by it, and you have a plan to bring redemption because it's what you do. And I'm walking into this situation not full of anxiety. I have anticipation. Anxiety expects something to go wrong. Anticipation expects heaven to show up. And what I experience in those moments leading up to it is based largely on what I'm focused on, who I'm aware of. Because the thing that I'm aware of is the thing that I'll imagine in the middle of that. Listen, whatever you worship will be the thing that you're most aware of when you think about those moments.
<coughs> Come on, if I set my affection upon him all the time. David said, I've set you before me. He said, your praises are always on my lips. What's he saying? I'm always looking at you. I'm always worshiping you. And in every situation I find myself in, I can say, the Lord's my shepherd. I shall not lack. He leads me. He guides me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. They terrify the enemy, but I find comfort in them because I understand they're not there to beat me. He was beaten for me. They're there to defend me and protect me because he said that he would be my defender. God, I don't even have to defend myself because you said that you would defend me. I don't have to tell people who I am. You said let another sing your praises. All I have to do is be obedient, God. All I have to do is trust you. You were the one that said that you prepared good works that I should walk in beforehand, that I should walk in them. That was your idea, not mine. I didn't come to you, God, and say, hey, God, um, I have this idea that maybe my life would look awesome if you would kind of plan out some things for me to do. And then in following your spirit, I could walk into those things and find myself who I need to be when I need to be. That's not our idea. And we're hoping God gets on board and says yes to it. That was his idea that he said long before you even knew he existed. Think about it. Sometimes we get frustrated Right? We get frustrated sometimes because we thought that something was supposed to happen that didn't. And, or we, we have this disappointment and we're tempted sometimes to take our theology and let disappointment shape it rather than His Word shape it. We're, liable, we're, we're tempted sometimes to let experience shape what we believe and make up a theology that accommodates a lack of experience or an experience that we didn't uh, like and instead of, instead of allowing just what His Word says. And sometimes we have this thing where it's like, God, I know what You've spoke to me. I know what You've promised me. And yet, I'm not there yet. I don't see it. Or, or, or it, this situation doesn't look the way I imagine this situation should look when I picture You and I picture Your Word. And we're sometimes tempted to give up on it or to say it's hopeless or any of those things. Listen, there's sometimes that we're not ready to possess things that He has for us. And listen, if, if the children of Israel is proof of this. He would rather your enemy possess your promise and cultivate that promise then give it to you before you're ready for it. You want proof? I'm going to drive them out of the land, yet I will not drive them out all at once. Lest when they leave, the beasts and the thorns possess the land and you cannot clear them out. What's he saying? I'm going to give you all this land, but I'm only going to give you the part that you can actually steward well at that time. And I'll let the enemy stay there and cultivate your promise. What were they doing the whole time the enemy was there? It looked for Israel like they were keeping something that belonged to them the whole time God said, listen, just trust me. You see those vineyards that they're planting? You're going to eat the grapes. You see those wells they're drinking? You're going to drink of the water of those wells. See those houses they're building? You're going to dwell inside those houses. Don't you worry about what is happening. Don't you worry about what it looks like they're getting away with. Don't you worry about what it looks like you don't have in this moment. You just be faithful to what I've given you and steward that well and trust that the whole time that, that you're not possessing that thing, it's because your enemy is actually preparing it so that when you are ready for it and I give it to you, you can possess it and steward it well. He'd rather your enemy tend to your promise and make it grow then give it to you when you're not prepared for it and see it destroyed. He's so good. You can't make him up. You can't exaggerate him. Try it. 
try it. Exaggerate the goodness of God. Even in our worst moments, we can find His goodness. I was thinking we are singing this morning. I just, I've got to be honest. I was, we were singing that song, Noel, this morning, and I remember how we got that song into a rotation. I was working out one morning with one of my best friends, and I heard it come over his, his, his um, iPod. And I walked over and, and looked on his phone and opened it up and, and saw the name of the song and wrote it down in my phone. And put it into the rotation of Christmas songs. And as we're singing that song and I'm on my knees, I'm reminded of that and I think about that. But you know what? In the, in the middle of that, I can find His goodness. Because I can say, God, if it wasn't for Jesus, my hope of ever seeing Him again, my hope of ever being in relationship with Him for eternity wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for you, God. But because of your son, Jesus, when this brief life is over, we'll be together forever. There'll be no sadness. There'll be no tears. It will never end. And I'm so thankful for the chance that I had for relationship with him here on earth because that means I'll know him for eternity. So rather than get angry at you, God, and say, why would you bring a friend like that into my life if you're just going to take him? Instead, I'm looking at his goodness and saying, God, I thank you that for four short years we were able to make a friendship that will last for eternity. I'm thankful for the opportunity I had to know him. And I'll know him for eternity because of the blood of your son, Jesus. And all of a sudden, I can't even help but look at even one of the worst situations I've walked through and see his hand and see his goodness and know, God, you're worthy to be praised even though there's parts of this that I don't understand. He's good. He's really, really good. Um, I will not get to... Whoa, we had planned, but that's okay. <laughs> hey guys, listen, next week, I want everyone's here to, to drink an extra cup of coffee, or if you're not a coffee drinker, Red Bull or something like that, come here excited and energetic, because Dylan's going to be speaking next week, and I want you guys to amen him and shout at him and tell him how, I'm serious, listen. God's raising up other voices in this house that can carry His Word forth, and I want us to encourage them and, and, and really just, just cheer them on as they, as they preach and, and as they step into things that God's called. You're, there's a, a group of people that, that we've been just kind of sharpening each other and I've been pouring into, and, and you're going to start seeing some of those guys, and, and there's actually some women too, like Patty did the other day, but you're going to see these people start to speak um, and I really want everyone to just be excited about that and to encourage them as they do. But um, open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to get to two points this morning, and then uh, the next time I speak, we'll talk. I, I'm trying so hard to not preach Sunday morning's message because while we were worshiping, I wrote down some notes for Sun and, and I mean, I'm sorry, for Christmas morning. And it's so awesome. I've never seen it before. He spoke something to me uh, that, that brought Genesis and Jesus together. And it made so much sense. I can't believe I haven't seen it before. And I am trying with everything I have to not preach that right now because I really want to preach it on Christmas. So I'm going to stick to my notes determinedly. Um, Matthew 6, 
um, in chapter 5. This is right after Jesus uh, talks about the Beatitudes. He's teaching the Sermon on the Mount. He's just talked about giving. He goes right into talk about prayer, and he says this. He says, when you pray, you're not to be like, you, listen, anytime Jesus said when you, that was, there was an assumption there that it would be something you do. So he said, when you pray, he said, when you give, he said, when you fast, he said, when you give your offering, you know, do this and this. Go through the Bible and find the when yous. And make sure, no, I'm serious, listen, find all the when yous and make sure you haven't added a when you to something that he said if about. Because he said, when you fast, when you pray, when you give, and John writes, if you sin. So you're saying we just, you, it's impossible to live without? I'm not saying anything other than that's what the Bible says. I'm just saying that when we take a when you and exchange it with an if, we do ourselves a disservice. And maybe we have so much when you on one side because we've made a when you an if. He said, when you fast and if you sin, which one do we think is, is mandatory? just going to let that hang there for a minute. Listen, the, the Bible is perfect theology. It's the Word of God. It's not a mistake. He's not in heaven right now going, oh, I meant to say if. He's not in heaven going, oh, why did he say if? He was supposed to say when. Oh well, when they get to heaven, I'll let them know and they'll all feel better about it. He's not doing that. There's a reason. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So, He's teaching them about prayer because He assumes that prayer is going to be part of the life of someone who's following Jesus. So He starts out not with if you pray, if you feel called to pray, if you're an intercessor, you know, none of those things. Prayer's for everyone. Prayer is vital. It's something that you can't walk and, and live the life that Jesus called you to walk and live without communication with him. And so he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Who are the hypocrites? The hypocrites are people who do and act one way, but actually believe and live a different way. So there are people who try to live like Jesus in public, but not really living like Jesus in private, maybe. Which is the recipe for burnout. The recipe for burnout, the reason people burn out is very simple. One thing. Trying to live like Jesus in public without living like Jesus in private. Jesus had to get alone with the Father on a continual basis. Alone with the Father. I love corporate gathering. I love corporate worship. I love, we had the Christmas party last night. Candace and her team did just an amazing job with it. We had so much fun. It was an absolute blast. The people who didn't come, you guys are losers. <laughs> no, 
but really you missed a, an awesome time. It was just, and, and Dylan said to me as we were, we were standing there watching and everyone's playing this game, he said, look at how diverse our church is. I mean, it's just truth. You look and it's like, there's no reason that this group of people would ever gather together but Jesus. And I love that. I love that it's not a clique that all looks the same and acts the same and are gathered together because of convenience, that it's people who actually are drawn together and knit together by the Lord. I love that. But, um, but um, and it, well, well, I can't remember what I was saying. About, huh? Oh, yeah, getting alone. I love the corporate gatherings. I love what, what God does in those settings. I love when we get together and worship and pray for each other. And all that stuff is awesome. But if that is the majority of your time with Him, the majority of your worship, the majority of your prayer, the majority of ministry, if anything in the Christian walk, if the majority of it happens in a corporate setting, you will not make it. Because you cannot sustain the life He's called you to based on a few hours a week with other people and not getting alone with Him. And eventually what will happen is, is you'll run out, you'll run dry, and then you'll start doing and performing and acting out of your own strength, out of your own ability. And that will kill you. Because nobody can live the way He's called us to live without getting alone the way He called us to get alone. Nobody. Jesus had to. Think about it. And while the disciples slept, Jesus went on the mountain to pray. And Jesus went to be alone. And Jesus went and walked off. And Jesus, while the disciples got in the boat, left and went around. What do you think he was doing when they got in the boat and he wasn't with them and he was walking? He's talking to the Lord. He's talking to the Father. He's praying. He's seeking Him. He's letting Him love Him and minister to Him. He's receiving from Him. He's talking to Him about the things He's going through in life. That's what we're called to. And so Jesus says, listen, when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. They're only doing it in, they love to do it in the streets and the synagogues. Why in the streets and synagogues? Because those are places that other people can see. And it's not so much that he was against people praying in streets and synagogues. Jesus ministered in streets and in synagogues. It's the heart behind it. It's like so many things. You know, we could take the letter or we could take the spirit of what he's saying. The letter is don't do it there. Well, that's, you know, obviously the priests were told different prayers to pray in the temple. So that's obviously not what he's saying. What he's saying is don't let that be something you do in a place that you do it so that people look at you and they make their opinion based on a show that you're putting on in the street or in the synagogue. He said they love to do that. And then he says this. He says, I tell you truly, they have their reward. What's he saying? There's a reward that comes when I actually pray. I'm always going to be rewarded when I pray. That's not in question. What is in question is, what is my reward and who's the one that gives it? He's saying, listen, if you do it for the praises of people or for the opinions of people or so that people will look and think, wow, they are so holy. Wow, look at them. Oh my gosh, I can't, this, if that's so amazing. Look, people may think that when you do think God's called you to do. There's nothing wrong with that. We have to be okay with people being exalted. It says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will exalt you. Everyone's okay with someone humbling themselves, but when people start exalting someone, sometimes we have a problem with it and we forget the same God that said to humble ourselves said that He would exalt us if we would. But if we're doing it for that, that's where Jesus says, listen, don't do that. Don't ever let it be a show. That's why we're so careful with the worship team up here to make sure, are we putting people up here who actually worship or we have people who have a need to be on stage in front of people? Because you can be gifted and talented 
and have a need for people to see your gifting and your talent and be up there doing everything but worshiping. And everybody looking may think that you're worshiping, but there's one who matters. The one who matters sees the heart while everyone's looking at the outside. You could stand with your hands raised. You can sing at the top of your lungs and not be worshiping. Because the posture of worship starts in your heart. I will say this, if that's going on in your heart, at some point it's probably going to make it out to your body. If God himself in Zephaniah says he sings and dances over you, if he sings and dances over you, might be a time here and there where you sing and dance over him. I'm just saying, if he looks at you and thinks you're awesome enough to sing and dance over, and the Word says he does that, probably if you're creating his image and likeness, there might be a time where you look at him and think he's awesome enough to sing and dance. And it might not have to be in here in front of everybody, but it should be somewhere. And the more you do it somewhere, the more comfortable you get doing it anywhere. Hang that one out there. Okay, moving on. So he says, don't do that. He says, they have their reward. They've been seen by men. They have what they were looking for. I think when we understand that prayer leads to reward, and we understand that the reason we're praying and the way that we pray determines who rewards us and what the reward is, we would really start to pray more. And we would really make sure that our heart was right in what we were doing. Because I want to be rewarded. I'm not doing it for a reward. I'm saying if there's a promise there, that's the paradox of the Bible sometimes, right? Like, give and it shall be given unto you. Well, don't give to get. Yeah, but I can't be a, that's fine. I'm not giving to get. But if I acted like I didn't know the word said that when I give, he repays with interest, like it says, I'm lying to myself. That's not my motivation for it, but I also know that Scripture's true. So I live in this tension of I'm not doing it for that, but I also know that your Word's true, so I expect that. Does that make sense? Like You can't act like you didn't read that verse. It says, given, it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosoms. It's not saying God's going to bless you spiritually, although that's also a promise of His. It also says when you give, there's physical stuff that comes back to you. Shall men give into your bosoms? Shall men give into your life? I'm not saying that that's what motivates us, but I'm also saying that if we understand that we can't outgive the one who's called us to give, it makes us a whole lot freer in our giving. If I understand that every time I get before Him and, and, and pray and seek Him, there's an answer and a response that He calls a reward, it makes me even that much more excited about getting before Him and praying and seeking Him. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That's in your Bible. Once you read that and know that, you can't unknow it. That doesn't become, it's not like, okay, God, I want to be rewarded, so I'm going to seek you. But I also understand the more I seek you, the more there's something that comes from you that you call a reward. And God, I'm in for whatever you have. Does that that make sense? There's that paradox, that tension that we live in, right? Of you know what the Word says, but like, I want to fall more in love with you. 
So maybe the reward is that I fall more in love with you. And as I fall more in love with you, I seek you more. And as I seek you more, I get more of you, which makes me want to seek you more. And maybe that's what you're calling the reward, and it's fine. I'm not going to put a label on what the reward from God is, but I am saying this. If you say seeking you brings reward, God, I want to seek you because I want whatever you have for me. So he says, listen, don't do that. Because if you do that, you have your reward. So men say, wow, look at Dylan. He's so sold out. I wish I had that zeal and passion. Man, what an awesome man of God he is. And Dylan's heart is, I just want to be obedient. That's not his reward. His father will reward him because of his heart. But if he was up there doing it so that you would say that, he's got everything that's coming to him when those words leave your lips. And there's nothing more coming because his reward's been given in full. That's why it says, guard your heart. Guard your heart. From it flow the issues of life. And so then he he goes on, he says, When you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He's saying, listen, again, there there was commands for people to pray in temples, and Jesus ministered in the streets. It's, It's not to say that you can't do that, but what he is saying is, Make sure that your primary time of of seeking Him is not in front of people, and it's actually when you're alone. Make sure that what people see in public is the tip of the iceberg of what your life looks like in private. If you ever get that out of balance, and everything's public, and nothing's private, you start to burn out, you start to dry up, and you start having to work out of your own abilities because you're not being filled by the Lord. And what happens when something's pouring out faster than something's pouring in, it ends up empty and dry. If you find yourself in a dry place, it could be with the best of intentions. You've been pouring out more than you've been getting alone and letting Him pour in. Doesn't mean you're evil. Doesn't mean you're wicked. It could have been with the best of intentions. It could be with a heart to see people changed by Him. And what happens is sometimes the enemy will use our zeal and just pull us a little bit further than God ever intended us to go. That's okay. You know what the easy solution to that is? God, I feel a little bit empty. i got to get alone with you. God, I'm feeling a little bit dry. Would you come and fill me? Because you said you would fill my cup to where it overflows and runs over. That means you promised that you'd give me enough and then there'd be extra for others. I can't give the extra for others without receiving the enough from me first. Thanks, Dylan. Do that next week when Dylan speaks. (laughs) Then he goes on. He says, And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they'll be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. He's saying, listen, it's not the length of your prayer that moves the heart of God. In fact, he says, you know what? God already knows what you need before you even ask Him. What is the only thing that moves God's heart? What is the only thing required to please Him? And without faith, 
it's impossible to please God. So that means the reverse has to be true, that with faith, it's actually possible to please Him. That means when I get before Him, if my confidence is in how good my prayer sounds, the floweriness of my speech, how long I can pray for, I'm not saying don't pray for a long time. My wife can pray for hours and never ever repeat herself and make it sound like she's trying to to talk God into something. She just pours her heart out for hours to Him. That's awesome. I'm not talking about that. What Jesus is saying is repeating the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, thinking if I say it 25 times, there will be more weight in it than if I say it once. And Jesus is saying, listen, when you do that, you're, showing, you're putting your faith in how many times you say something versus the one that you're actually saying it to. Don't do that. And don't do it over and over again hoping to be heard by people same context here, doing it out in public for the, in front of everybody. Also, don't just pray long, flowery prayers hoping people will hear them and be impressed by them. I do want to just say something here. This verse has been taken out of context and abused. And, and I want to talk about something that it doesn't mean. There was a time in the, in the early, uh, 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 kind of the middle chapter, I guess, of this church where it was in between one and the other. And they were um, actually talking with another church about becoming part of that church. And so that church's worship pastor came and observed worship and wrote up some notes and gave them to the worship team, which I was part of at that time. And one of the notes on there said, avoid meaningless repetition in worship. Jesus warned about this. And I read that and I remember thinking, how do you call worship meaningless ever. And I remember talking about this with some of the worship team. We were like, no, that's not right. Because there's creatures in heaven who from eternity past and for eternity future have sang one song. And it has one line. It doesn't have a chorus. It doesn't have any verses. It doesn't have an intro. It doesn't have an outro. It's one verse. And it says they constantly sing this song. And that's all they've ever done. And it's all they'll ever do. And it's this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they never stop singing that song and God never looks at them and says, would you guys quit repeating yourselves? I heard it the 745th million times. Why? Because it's worship. And they're pouring out their heart and they're looking at the one they're worshiping and it's a response of their heart. And every single time, it's as fresh as the last time that they said it. And it's never been repeated because worship is always real. True worship is actually authentic and it's coming from my heart. And every single time they say it, it's like the first time they've said it to God because they're seeing something that's worthy of being praised. If you ever get to a point where you're repeating yourself meaninglessly, you've lost sight of the one that you're actually singing to and it's not worship. You're singing a nice song. And I've seen that that verse abused. And I just want to let you guys know, you may see times up here where people, there's, listen, there have been times where I have sat on my couch and I've tried to say something other than thank you and all that will come out is thank you. 
And I'm like, I'm crying, and I've, I've got, it's the ugly cry. You know, not the like, the, you know, you, you kind of do the attractive cry when you're around a lot of people. It's like, <laughs> and you keep it composed. It was not that kind of crying. It's the ugly, like if someone took a picture of me right now, it would scare you crying where you're just a mess before the Lord and and what's going on is I'm I'm thinking about and I'm remembering the things that he's done for me and who he's called me and what he's promised me and even one of those promises every time I think about it a new wave of thank you comes out of me and I try to say something different all that comes out is thank you and I'm just weeping before him and I promise you he has never once looked down and said avoid meaningless repetition Roy why? Because every time I said thank you, it was like I said it for the first time. Because it was coming from my heart, and it was worship and adoration, and it was being laid at His feet. Don't ever feel bad about repeating yourself when you're worshiping the Lord. What might someone who uses that verse, I think about this guy, and it's not to pick on him, but what might he say when he gets to the throne room after the 71st thousandth time of hearing them sing that same song? I bet he won't be counting because he'll probably be singing with them as he looks at the one that they're singing about. When we gather together and worship, please don't ever let it be something that's judged and critiqued. Let it be something that you join in and worship yourself. And if you find yourself singing your own song, your own words and pouring out your own worship, that is beautiful and fine. Just allow others the freedom to do the same. You guys quiet, man. I swear, it's quiet in here this morning. That, that snow and, and that, that, what's going on? Come on. You guys a little bit sleepy? It's okay, I was a little bit sleepy, and like I said, I look down, and Dylan's close, but he's not Patty. I love him. I love him, but not like her. I'm telling you, man, that, that woman is amazing. I can brag on her right now because she's not here. You guys, it's, you know it says those who finds a good wife finds a good thing? I'm telling you right now, I found a great thing. But listen, She seeks the Lord. What makes her beautiful is the fact that she's in love with Jesus. She's seeking after him. She's not perfect. But every day, she wants to be more like Jesus than she was yesterday. And she never lets anything be an excuse for her to be less than who Jesus has called her to be. And she challenges me into the same. Boy, we need that in each other's lives. We need that in our community, in our church family. I'm just going to close though. I didn't even get to the kingdom of heaven, which is what I planned to preach on. So next week, I'll do that. I will. Or, or no, sorry. Next week, Dylan will be speaking. And then the following week, I have got, woo! <laughs> That's Christmas. It's ready right there. Uh, I'm, you have no idea. I promise you probably the hardest thing in the world for me is to keep from preaching something that I felt like God spoke to me during worship and just grabbing it and running with it. And I actually was ready to do that, and I felt like the Lord said, you can, but it's not for today. And so the whole time I'm preaching, I'm just like, don't start down that road, Roy, because once you start, you can't stop. (laughs) It's like Lay's potato chips. (laughs) 
Revelation's like that. You start, you can't stop. You know, Because as it comes out of your mouth, He starts reminding you of other things and all of a sudden you're hearing Him speak about something else and another Scripture pops up and you're tying these things together and you're so excited, I can't even get it out sometimes. And I was like, please Lord, don't let me go down that because ooh, I want to so bad. I'm going to go and preach it to myself tonight. Just to get it out of my system. Otherwise, I'll get up to introduce Dylan next week and end up preaching it. I know. Me too. But listen, I'm, I'm going to close up with this right here. The next thing Jesus says is, He says, when you pray, pray, pray like this. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will. What's he saying? He's saying, when you get before him, let the first thing that comes out of your mouth be the awareness of this. God, you're holy. Let your name be holy in the earth. That's what hallowed means, to be holy. God, let your, God, you're above everything. The first thing coming out of my mouth when I get before you is not my needs, not my wants, it's not even for other people. It's you, Father. You're holy. Let your name be holy in the earth. Your kingdom come. Period. When you say your kingdom come, your will be done, and they, they go together, great, but it's your kingdom come. That's a prayer. That's a seeking of Him and asking, God, let your kingdom come. Let the kingdom of heaven come. Whatever situation you're praying about, like we talked about imagining Jesus there, what does it look like, God, for your kingdom to come in this situation? God, this thing that I got before you to pray about that's burdening my heart, Father, what does it look like for your kingdom to come to that situation, to that relationship, to that job, to that experience, to that fear, to that doubt, to that anxiety? God, what does it look like when your kingdom comes to that situation? Your will be done on earth the way it is in heaven. Paul said, I pray that you would know the will of God. You can know His will for that situation by simply asking. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. He said, all things that the Father has have been made known to me and the Holy Spirit will take that which is mine and make it known to you. That means I can know God's will in any situation I find myself in. God, what does it look like for your kingdom to come? God, what is your will in this? Because I want to see your will done here the way it is in heaven. If there's no broken relationship in heaven, it's not your will for there to be broken relationship on earth, God. What does it look like for your kingdom to come? How can I be the one who brings your kingdom to that situation and sees your will done? God, what can I do? Notice before he says to pray for anything for ourselves, it's all about the Father and all about seeing His will come and other people seeing the kingdom of heaven and the will of the Father displayed. That's why Jesus said, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And then the rest of the things that he says to pray for are just reminders of things that he's already promised. 
He says, don't worry about what you will eat. So we're not praying that prayer, hoping that God will feed us and give us our daily bread, what we need for the day. He said, don't worry about what you will eat or what you will wear. For the pagans, run, the Gentiles, people that don't know God as Father, they run after these things. But your Heavenly Father knows. He sees sparrows when feathers fall from them. How much more does He love you and value you than the sparrow? If He gives them what they need, won't He also give you what you need? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Paul writes in Ephesians, he says, we should forgive each other even as He has forgiven us. He says in in 1 John, if we're faithful to confess our sins, He is faithful and just to to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Lead us not into temptation. It says that God cannot be tempted, nor does He tempt with evil. Yours is the kingdom. Then we end up right where we started. It's all back to You, God. You notice that? It starts with Him. It's about His kingdom. It's about His will being done. There's a little bit about us, and then it's right back to Him. Why? Because He's the beginning and the end. Because it starts with Him and it ends with Him. And if we start with Him and end with Him, everything else in between gets taken care of. The first thing He says to us, though, is this. That's the last thing I'm going to say. I really am going to close up. He could have said, say, our Supreme Creator. He could have said, say, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. He could have said, say, our eternal and holy judge. He could have said any of those things. He said, when you pray, when you get alone, remember he said, get alone, go in your room, close the door, be alone with him. And when you're alone with him, what do you call him? Our Father. Why? Because when I posture myself before him and call him my Father, I'm acknowledging that I'm his child. And then everything else that I do from that point on is done from a place of a child knowing who his Father is, not as an orphan hoping his dad will, wishing he had a dad who could. No, as a son or a daughter, knowing who our father is and believing that he is capable, willing, and able to do everything he promised. Now it's just a matter of me seeking God. What is it that's your will? What does it look like for your kingdom to come? That's why I need everyone to do this real quick because I feel like especially during the holidays, you know, we, we... the enemy would love to come and destroy this time by pointing out, especially broken relationship. That's just really on my heart right now. Relationship that's been broken, relationship that's been strained, relationship that's been abandoned. People feel hurt, neglected, forgotten, uncared about. Come on. I feel like the holidays, you you turn on the Hallmark movies and there's the whole family sitting around the table and you just look at that and all you can see is what you don't have. And all the devil does is make accusation against you and let you know if you would have, then maybe, and all this stuff. And listen to me. Even if he's right, he's wrong. Because the answer isn't for you to try to go back and live your life over again. The answer is for you to say, God, would you come and redeem and restore like you promised? So here's what I just want you to do. I just want you to, is there, is there anyone here who I'm talking to right now? Is there anybody here who would say, yeah, that's, that's me, yeah. It's okay, look, we're not going to call you up, make you do anything weird if that's you. Yeah. 
So here's what we want to do. Look, it's, when someone asks a question like this, man, if that's you, just put your hand up. For, if you can't be honest before people who love you and care about you, when will you ever be able to be honest? And it's encouraging for the person to know, I am hearing the Lord right now in this moment because there's people whose hearts are responding to this. Not just you need that, but it's really nice to have. So if that's you, just put your hand up real quick where you are. Come on. Don't waste time. Look around, church. Find somebody with their hand up. We're just going to pray for them right now. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to ask for the kingdom of heaven to come into that situation and for the will of God to be done. So Father, I thank You right now that You would show us what it looks like for Your kingdom to come and Your will to be done. God, we pray for hurt, anger, bitterness, and offense that are being held on to, God, that are trying to rise themselves up. God, all they are is strongholds that rise themselves up against the knowledge of who you are. And God, we just ask right now that you would show us not only what it looks like for your kingdom to come and your will to be done, but God, what does it look like for me to be the one who walks into that situation carrying the kingdom of heaven? who lays my life down and says, I'm here for no other reason than to see the kingdom of heaven come and the will of God be done. And as much as it's on me, I'll do everything in my end to make that happen. So right now, if you're one of the people who raise their hands, just ask Him. He's not distant and uninterested and uncaring. And just ask Him, say, God, what does it look like? What do I need to do, God? What does it look like for me? for your kingdom to come into this situation. For me to lay my life down to love. God, what does it look like for your will to be done? And what can I do to see that happen here on earth the way you see it happen every single day in heaven? God, I thank You for speaking. I thank You for guiding. I thank You for leading us. I just ask for relationships to be restored, God. For broken relationships, shattered relationships, God, for offense and bitterness and hurt to go in Jesus' name. God, I thank You that You would silence the voice of the enemy that comes to do nothing but kill, steal, and destroy and make accusation. That any time a voice of accusation rises up against You, that the blood of Jesus would silence it forever. God, would you show us what it looks like for the kingdom of heaven to come and help us to be people who carry that kingdom everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen.